Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Frog Snacks Podcast, episode 24, if, uh, if my sources are correct. Uh, we have a very special episode here. We've got uh, a special guest, um, our good friend Wynn, uh, better known as Prague in the uh, Super Smash Brothers Melee and otherwise uh, competitive fighting game scene. Um, he was a commentator for a very long time for Super Smash Brothers Melee. Uh, he is still very much involved in the competitive scene. Hello. How's it going? It's, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. No, thanks for coming on. Um, you are our... Already. Bless you. Already. You, already. <laughs> you have to bless him as soon as he comes on here. Yeah. We are... Um, you, you are our uh, most famous uh, guest so far. So, congratulations. Um, yeah. I don't consider myself famous. I'm just a guy that does what he loves, and it happens that fighting games are a big part of that. Yeah, and they're uh, getting bigger. Of course, of course. Um, so you just came back from Evo. You're fresh from Evo 2015, right? I was actually able to evade the Evola virus as well, so I'm feeling pretty confident my trip to Vegas. But yep, I was in attendance. Great, great. Um, you uh, you entered in Marvel. Yep. Correct. Okay, but not Melee. No, I haven't entered a Melee tournament since 2010. 2010. Damn, has it been that long already? It's been forever. And when did you when did you stop commentating? Um, the last tournament I actually commentated was, there was an event here in New York, in Chinatown, called Neonabulous, right off the canal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I did that event shortly after the venue closed, and I really haven't uh, gone to too many events since then. Uh, you know, commentary is something I'll, I'll always do, it's something that even as retired as I am or I'm not, you know, it's something that people want to see from me. So I'll hop in and do it here and here and there, but I, I don't think it's my main thing anymore. Thank uh, you know, I, I've always said, you know, I've been able to do more with controller or more without a controller than I was able to do with one. And it's going to be interesting to see what I can do without a microphone. Yeah. It seems like more and more of those spaces are opening up. And, um, you know, spaces where people who are not able to play the game at a top, top level can still contribute heavily to the community, whether you're a, a TO or a commentator or, exactly. um, or, a, or just like a, a, a let's player on YouTube, you know, you don't have to be, uh, like a tournament level player to do all of these things. You just need to be uh, organized and have a personality, right. And, uh, be willing to do a lot of traveling and, uh, being at events, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a huge grind uh, in order to be in that kind of position. Yeah, One of the guys that got a Canon Award this year at EVO was Maximilian. And, you know, Max, I don't think, is going to be in anyone's top eight for uh, EVO. Mm-hmm. But he's done more to grow the FGC, more than most players have and more than most people have. Uh, it's a different way and it's a different style, but it's it's different knack and it's been drawing a lot of attention. Definitely. Actually, yeah, Maximum is one of my favorite streamers, period, on uh, on Twitch. It's just fun. Yeah, he's just, he's a lot of fun. He's he's personable. And, you know, he, he takes into account that it's not just about putting a video showing, you know, the proof concept. Like, you can deal, you know, all this damage. You can want to kill X character. It's more about bring some of the fun back into gaming because I think with a lot of competitive gamers, we kind of forget that, yeah, you know, there is another side of this and converting those quote unquote casual players to competitive players. is one thing that's going to be humongous for the growth of the competitive fighting game scene period. Well said. And it's true because, uh, competition's all well and good, but you know, if, if it, sometimes if it goes, uh, it gets a little too serious for people. And then that can be a turnoff. Oh yeah, yeah. So the, um, the 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 commentating scene is is uh, super grassroots, and uh, you know I I, th- I think we all want to know how you got to that point. Is there was a there were there, you you've you've even gotten correct me if I'm wrong, but you've even gotten uh, specific invitations from Nintendo to commentate Smash Brothers tournaments. Oh yeah, I've done two for Nintendo. Now I think about it. Um, yeah, you know. Commentary for me basically started back in 2009, 2010, maybe. 
Uh, I would go to my local melee locals, which weren't local at all. It was about a half an hour, or not half an hour, about 40 minutes out of Long Island, a little town in Westchester called Nanuet, mm-hmm. at a store called Toy Wiz on Route 57. Rockland and we County. had a, uh, we had a, uh, we had, I guess they were bi-weeklies, monthlies, either way, you know, I would go there with a recording set up just to really get down that these matches were important to us. You know, it's mm-hmm. not just for people to look back on and see, okay, I did X wrong, my reaction was wrong, but no, this, this is history, this is all part of a culture, and that's something that I really wanted to, uh, want to get down. And eventually, you know, I had a cheap $7 USB microphone from Radio Shack. Uh, Some guys on the West Coast, Homemade Waffles and Phil, they'd been doing commentary in Smash for a little bit in NorCal. And I felt like their channel was blowing up, and I wanted my channel and just the East Coast in general to blow up because the players that we had, I felt, were as good as those players out there. They just didn't have that right venue. They weren't being highlighted properly. Yeah. So I started doing commentary for that, and, you know, eventually I built a following. Um, around Apex 2012, you know, I was selected to be... Was it 2012? I don't remember. It's been a while. But um, I think it was Apex 2012 was when I got my first start really commentating. I think um, it was, too. Well, actually, Pound 5 was before Apex 12, but that was, like, the first time people really got to know me for doing a national. And I guess I had a different take on commentary. I I really focus my commentary on, not for, you know, the hardcore, everyone that knows everything. It's more about the person that's watching for the first time, converting that person to want to learn more, to be a part of the scene. And that was my goal, and I guess it worked, you know. Yeah, I mean, you sort of became the equivalent of the color commentator for professional sports. You know, you have the the play-by-play guy who's got all the technical knowledge and, you know, the color commentator who also has the technical knowledge but talks more about, um, you know, the general observations that somebody who might not be a diehard would would still catch on to. Right. And And also, uh, I've always – I said actually toward the end, you know, I didn't want to be called a commentator anymore. I wanted to be known as a storyteller. You know, when you're you're discussing – all these things. It isn't just about the match. Sure, you know, you see how the players adapt and how one option that was working isn't working anymore, but you want to tell the stories of these players, how they got to this point, you know, how we project them to do because of X matchup, uh, who they play locally, how they perform. So that's also part of the storytelling that I want to uh, get across. Yeah. It's like I told Snacks the other day that you're, you're like Smash is Bob Costas. I, I, I can respect that. Yeah, yeah. Is um the 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 subplots are just as are just as important as what's going on on the screen. It's it's um it's it's been a it's been a facet of sports commentating forever, and you know it's it's definitely has its place in esports as well. Um, you know it's it's um and this goes back to you know the early days of uh, the competitive Smash scene. You know back when Melee came out and things were, people were starting to figure things out and we talked a little bit about it last week, but it, um, it sort of popped up regionally across the world and then they sort of came together. So it, it, it did become an important thing whether or not you were an East Coast or a West Coast player, whether you were American or European or uh, Japanese. Um, these things play heavily into you know, where you were before you were on, on a big screen. Right. So, yeah, a lot of these things people tend to think are in a vacuum, but there's so much history, you know, you can't talk about, for example, PPMD or West Falls without going back to, you know, the Shizwiz, without going back to Lamb Chops, without going back to Bomb Soldier, without going back to PC Chris. It's all just this big lineage and, you know, everyone's adding their own take to it. Yeah. I got my ass whooped by PC Chris once at a local tournament in Connecticut. Me too. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was the first year that Brawl came out, and they did a. Uh, there was this little. Um, there was actually a little coffee shop in Watertown, Connecticut, and they had a they had a Smash tournament. And it was my first summer back from my freshman year of college, and I was like, "Oh, Smash tournament, awesome!" And there were like way too many people there. It was way beyond capacity. PC Chris showed up and uh, made me and my buddy look terrible. So so bad. 
Yeah, um, that's that's usually how the story goes. I know uh, the first time I went to a tournament was actually uh, freshman year in college. It was 2005 at Temple University. Uh, it was a free-for-all tournament, strangely enough, but there was this one player named Ahmad, and he was moving around so strangely. I, I hadn't seen anything like it. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I went up to him after the tournament. I said, you know, why were you moving like that? I've never seen anyone do that. He's like, well, you know, I go to tournaments, and, you know, if you want to learn, by all means, you know, I can teach you, and that's how I fell in love. That was actually going to be my next question, because... I mean, I can recall, you know, that same era when we were all hanging out and, uh, you know, we were all pretty thirsty. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we were all very thirsty, but you managed to actually get further than pretty much the rest of our entire group. I know for my part, I was pretty much like, uh, I'm not ready to hang by like 2006, 2007. But I was always... Uh, I always admired the fact that you were able to really take it to another level, even all the way up to, as we described before, becoming such a prominent general voice for the whole community. Eh. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean it, it's uh, it's been a really, really strange trip, and I know, you know, Rakim, we go back long before Smash was even. I guess something that I really Smash kind of popped up my life. Yeah, so, Smash kind of popped up into our lives. Yeah, and but, took uh, over. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I I guess at that point it was something that had become more than just a game. You know, I had met so many people through it. Uh, some of the worst times in my life. You know, it was that community that uh, that really, I guess, reached out to me and when things were at their bleakest, you know, everyone has been able to reach out to me. And I'm eternally grateful for being part of the smash scene and by proxy, the entire FGC, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, definitely being a little modest as it stands now, uh, you have about 29,000 followers on Twitter. Um, and you know, we, we follow you. I, I'm sure anybody listening right now also follows you on Twitter. You're, you're, um, you, you really are like, a like a grandfather to the scene, you know, people, um, people sort of listen to you, which is tough when you're talking to 30,000 people. Um, you know, it, you've definitely struck a chord with the community through your, through your commentating style and, you know, your, your visibility and everything. And, um, yeah, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're a little celebrity. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's, it's, I'm just doing the same thing I've been doing for the past almost 10 years now, actually. It is 10 years, is 10 years, 10 years next month. Time but, um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I've always said that I guess I've grown with the scene, but you know, people will question, you know, my ideas and my decisions and that's all fine, but they can never really question, you know, how much I care for it. Yeah, right. nobody and I think I think that's yeah. I think that's why a lot of people, I guess, respect me for that. You know, I don't know. It's 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 weird. Um, yeah, I I I don't I don't think it's I don't think it's that weird. You're um you're you've been you've been quite visible for the for the past you know six years or so uh, in the community, and it's you know you you stepped in at a, at a time where you know. Um, like Justin.tv was sort of being replaced by Twitch and the, the, the accessibility of these types of tournaments is from a, from like a viewer perspective was just, just became universal. Oh yeah. And uh, I remember some of our early tournaments were even on a uh, Ustream, let alone Justin. So Woo. Ustream, yeah. Ustream. really going back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm fortunate to say that, you know, I'm, I, I'm helping or I've helped and continuing to help the smash scene survive from, the days of VHS recordings to, you know, the front page of Twitch. So. Mm. VHS recording of turning yeah. off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is something, you know, this is something that um, a lot of, I remember people like Alex Valle would talk about, because, you know, you'd have people like him saying, listen, guys, you know, it's time for to put away the excuses because 
back in the day, we were we were swapping around bootleg tapes like it was you know concert fans or whatever. Oh yeah. But now everything is not only is everything live stream, but everything is archived. Yep. So you you literally have everything, and you now literally have everything around the world. Well, I, I guess the one thing that's questionable with that is the one thing that's always lacking is it's always going to be someone who says someone else is going to do it. And it's actually an issue I've seen a lot this week on Twitter uh, with the FGC. Um, the one thing that I think is a misconception about the FGC is everyone, many people looking from the outside feel like it's, it's one monolithic unit. It's clearly not to anyone that's on that's internal, you know. First, really pays attention. You know, it's um, people who are ride or die for Killer Instinct. May not like Guilty Gear. May not like Smash. May not like Street Fighter. May not like Marvel. May not like Tekken, Virtual Fighter, so on and so forth. And it's it's uh, it is problematic, I guess, when some people feel like their scenes are being looked over, and that's what we're seeing now from the anime side of the FGC. You know, they feel like. Uh, they feel like while they've had their main group at Dustloop, they, they kind of want more opportunities for uh, for more mainstream coverage. And when it comes to mainstream, I mean, the FGC in general has gone more mainstream this year than ever. You know, okay. starting with CEO, when you had K. Brad make ESPN and Steve Austin's podcast for that, uh, you had Roshihige uh, this year make ESPN Sports Center. Yeah. Oh yeah, for the uh, for the infamous uh, <laughs> counting your chickens before they hatch a moment. Mm-hmm. It's uh, you know, but the biggest thing with a lot of these scenes is they have to realize that people have to step up and be those people, be those leaders, and that's one thing that I think that's one reason why I feel like Smash is thriving now. Uh, we're at a good point now because well, we really the leaders really just came together around the end of 2012 because we were concerned with the direction of our game and the scene and we just wanted to know what we could do to help it grow. We got one opportunity, we ran with it, and lo and behold, look at where we are now. Definitely. Yep. Yeah, seeing people like you and D1 also, you know, uh, just really being out there and being a face for the game. Uh, and it is interesting that you bring up the anime community because... It's kind of surprising, frankly, that they haven't been, you know, trying to get some more shine earlier. Because, to be honest, you know, all of those, all of the Arc System Works games, which is what we're really talking about, are technically and everything pretty superior to the Capcom games at this point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's uh, it's really difficult, though. I guess uh, for a lot of these writers, you know, I think. People expect people, for example, on SRK, to know everything, and that's impossible. You can't know everything. You can't know all the uh, all the streams and when they're regular. You can't know all the Facebook groups. And you know, I think that kind of organization is what's going to be necessary. I know for Marvel in particular. You know, although I'm not Clockwork, I'm not Justin, I'm not Yipes. I'm, I'm doing what I can to help out that scene right now. Um, I'm running a Facebook group uh, group document, so if you're looking for a local scene, thanks enough. If you're looking for a local scene like my niece is right now, <laughs> uh, you can definitely find it. Uh, you know, and I think that it's that kind of outreach that's going to help these games grow. Uh, that's an idea that we implemented in Smash, you know, a year or two ago. We've seen great success with it, and you know I feel like it's a model that other scenes can copy, and that's one of the biggest things about the FTC. You know, the reason why Smash is so successful is because all of us that put in that hard work, we studied what worked for Marvel, what studied we studied what worked for Street Fighter, and we figured out how we could apply it. You know, even when we reference we reference our big six now, but before Eleven really stepped up, we had our five gods. Those yep. reference the five gods of traditional fighters in Japan, of Capcom fighters in Japan. Right. So mm-hmm. we just, we borrow, we make it our own, and we try and improve where we can, but we have to keep an eye on everything in order to learn and uh, continue to grow. Yeah, and you know, we talked about it, uh, we talked about it last week a little bit. Uh, 
Melee is uh, 13 years old this year, uh, believe it or not. And, um, 14. 14. 2001. 2001. 14 years old this year. Um, and, you know, it, it, started, it started to become a viable competitive game pretty early on in its lifetime. So we're talking about well over a decade of, of um, you know, I, ideas being uh, copied by other scenes and then invented through the, through the melee scene and having, or, you know, they're now at the point where people are seeing like, oh, this is what the Smash community has been doing. Like, we can do this for our game too. Yeah, you know, it, it's a lot of uh, a lot of borrowing. Yeah, ultimately, it's um, it's the same concept. I mean, obviously, Smash is the most different because it's it's got the the platformer element and the percentages, but you're you know, it's it's a it's a one v one fighting game uh, as it's played in the in the professional sense usually. So, yeah, it's uh, I, I I wanted to ask you um a little bit about uh, about. Uh, melee and uh, also Marvel. You've you've sort of made the uh, the transition to a, Mar- a Marvel player. You entered in Evo this year in Marvel. Uh, I want to know. I want to know how you did, and I want to know who you <laughs> played as, and I want to know. Uh, <laughs> and I want to know what what you th- what was the draw as a as a um, as a melee person. What was the draw for uh, Marvel vs. Capcom three? that you saw, you know, like I, I can, uh, was it because it was completely different and you just wanted to try something new or did you see the similarities between melee and think to yourself, you know what, I kind of want to, uh, I can kind of see myself making an, uh, an easier transition into this game. And, uh, yeah. So what do you, what do you think about that? Before you well, even guess, answer that, uh-huh. I definitely have to insert, uh, the fact that I can tell you right off the bat that Marvel has kind of been in our neighborhoods, DNA for a long time. Yes, yes, yeah. indeed. For better or for worse. <laughs> I mean, Joaquin can attest. You know, there were many, many, many days where many. our group here on Long Island would just hang out and we would watch Marvel videos. You know, none of us were going to tournaments, but you know, there's something that's special about Marvel and its community. There's an energy in it that really. I think other scenes I've tried to bottle, but you just you can't do it. It has to be it has to be organic. Uh, I know Rakim and I we've seen many many times uh, videos of Dark Prince. Oh yes, of, the Dark uh, Prince videos. Yeah, Hyo, of Yipes, Rotron, uh, Potter, so on and so forth. Josh three hundred and sixty. So you know I've always had a respect for Marvel, and especially toward the uh, Evo twenty thirteen drive. I was always quoting James Chen, who back when Melee was first at Evo in 2007, he's dubbed Melee as Marvel Jr. And I, I always thought that was kind of kind of apt. You know, we kind of use our platform games similar to how some characters will use our dashes and things of that nature. Um, but I guess, you know, it was something that I really, really needed. I needed a, a, I needed a change of pace. Uh, I had surgery in around February or March of 2013. And while I was recovering, you know, I didn't have people over for Melee. I was back in my old apartment in Sussex Park. I just sat there and I just watched and I just lapped up Marvel and I, I studied. And, you know, I started making a transition from being a spectator to a player. Um, and that's been a difficult transition, I'll, I'll definitely say. You know, it's it's always difficult when you're playing catch up with people, mm-hmm. but it's always fun seeing how far you can go and how how much more you can learn and explore. Um, and you know, it was it was uh, it's also an opportunity for me, I guess, to to be myself more and more. I'd say, you know, when when people think Prague, they think. You know, this is the commentator. Okay, I'm going to message him at 4 a.m. about melee stuff. And, you know, I, I get in more like, even though I'm solely, I'm not even taking on a leadership role, I'm just helping out where I can. You know, I don't have to have that pressure. You know, I get to go to tournament. I get to just hang out and play casuals without, you know, without being, uh, without face. feeling obligated that I have to do 800 different things while I'm there. I can just be myself and enjoy 
things as they are. And, you know, I, I haven't gotten to do that in Smash for a very, very long time. Uh, but as for Evo, <laughs> uh, my stick actually broke the morning of my pool. I had a 8 a.m. pool. Was it a razor stick? Nope. <laughs> okay. Uh, Shout out to Razor. Shout out to Razor. We love you. uh, Shout out to Mark Man. Mark Man is amazing. Madcap stick I dual modded. And as I got home from Evo, I put it back in my PS3 and were completely fine. So I'm guessing there was a short on the uh, dual mod. Okay. So, yeah. But uh, I went 0 2. I'm actually, I guess, comparing how I played last year. I'd say I came in this year wiser. I knew more things of that nature, but the stick break really threw off my threw off everything for me. You know, I play a lot more conservative. You know, I didn't have my silent buttons, so I could do certain things. You know, that were just audio cues and things like that. Um, and you know, I there's no salt. You know, I got outplayed, and I made a couple of bad decisions here and there. I, there's definitely room for me to improve. But there's always a part of it that knows I didn't give as much as I could have. But that's not the story I get to tell. My story is I went 0-2 and I'll be back next year looking for revenge. And, you know, it's not going to not gonna stop me from trying to progress. Uh, mm-hmm. I can play a pretty mid-tier team. Uh, if you're familiar with Dragoomba from, or from Idaho, uh, he plays a bit of Smash as well. Uh, he plays Skrull, Dormammu, Hagar. I play Skrull, Dormammu, Doctor Strange. And it's uh, it's an awkward team. It's you know it's not it's not a team that a lot of people will uh, will look for to make top eight. But at the same time, a lot of people won't look that way for Justin Wong's team. People didn't look that way at KBR's team. Right. Uh, you know, it's it's not just about the team and all of the elements. It's about the player as well. And people tend to forget there's a human element. I do well when I make people afraid. And they shouldn't be afraid of my characters, but when they are afraid, I get to run over them. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's a human element that I love tapping into. Especially with that kind of team, I know if I beat you, and you're playing, and if you're a better player than me, you were afraid of me. Or I made, or I outplayed you. There is no, you know, oh, you know, my characters got me through it. Yeah, you know, sometimes that does happen. But I know for me... I earned that W. You can't take that from me. So, so in other words, he's Batman. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> we were uh, we were actually definitely talking about that uh, last week about how um you know we, we were we were talking about no not about Batman about um how it it really it really does especially in the newer games boil down to the mind games when when you can constantly tweak the characters uh, you know from the developer side and, and balance things out and. And everything, um, you, you know, you really most most characters become viable at some point in their lifetime. And you know, we watched uh, we watched Infiltration make it to the top three using like eight different characters in Street Fighter, which is uh, amazing. Like that's why that's wild. Yeah. And uh, you know, and, and you know, I did want to I did want to ask you. I think this is probably a good segue. Is um. You know, and it's it's probably a, it's probably a touchy subject. It's definitely still um, you know being hotly debated in the Smash community. Mm-hmm. But uh, like we said before, melee is uh, melee is fourteen years old, mm-hmm. and it was um, you know it, it came out really before the the, the internet era, and right. um, you know there's 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 plenty of jokes uh, you know aimed at melee about how you know there are really only like three characters that are viable in competitive play, uh-huh. you know, uh, and, it, and it, it's too old for, for anybody to, uh, make these types of balances. Um, and now you have, you know, you, you had, you had brawl, which was, which was not really, uh, you know, competitively viable and, and sort of got dropped pretty quickly and, you know, melee, you know, continued to reign supreme but and not even that i mean brawl had a very very long long age uh however you know as time went on and without patches people discovered things and when it came down to viability you know you had basically you know basically two characters in the top you know you would see a pikachu here and there but if there wasn't a meta knight in your top eight or there wasn't a uh or if there wasn't nice climbers in your top eight who really showed up right and 
and then you know Smash Four is out now and has this huge roster, and they've already seen uh, a bunch of updates. You know, back you know people figured out Diddy Kong was was OP. They they nerfed him, and you know they gave buffs to shittier characters. You know, I'm I'm I play Falco in Smash Four. Uh, they definitely gave him a little bit of a boost uh, in one of the patches, and uh, this is only going to continue once people figure out that w- one character can't do one thing or can do several things too well. It'll, it, you know, it, the developers catch you know the attention, and Nintendo catches the attention, and, and they make these fixes. And my my question is, um, since the the problems of previous uh, iterations of the Smash games can sort of be worked through in the current iteration, Smash 4. And mm-hmm. we saw here in Evo that there were actually uh, slightly more entrants in Smash 4 than there were in Melee. Um, how how long do you think it's going to be until Smash 4 is is the is the Smash game that you're going to see at tournaments and and you know Melee just sort of like it, it'll it'll likely never you know fade away and it'll always be super important and always be a thing but you know it, you know as as far as you know um modernity and viability Smash 4 can can all, will always have that leg up on Melee Yeah I mean that's it's actually uh it's kind of a uh, double-edged sword. Uh, one thing that, you know, everyone with, I guess, a lot of the games from that era of Melee, especially with Marvel vs. Capcom 2, you know, 50-plus characters, and you only end up hearing about usually six or seven. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a question of depth, and I think that's why those games are still are still venerated to this day. Um, when you're... When you have so many characters that aren't, uh, I don't say aren't viable, but we have a clear upper echelon of characters. The depth of those characters and depth of the interactions between players is what keeps people playing the game. You know, as many people will play, you know, Magneto, Storm Sentinel, well, you know, many have their different takes on it. Uh, Many will do different resets. You can look at all the top boxes, and they're all very, very different in melee. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when it comes to not being patched and whatnot, you kind of know what you're getting into. You know, you don't have to worry about, for example, with Evo, uh, there were questions of, you know, what characters would be allowed after, you know, Ryu was announced, Lucas, and those characters were banned automatically. Uh, you know, next week actually is Super Smash Con, and people are wondering if there's going to be another patch before then. Uh, at the same time, however, with Smash 4, you know, just by virtue of the updates and whatnot, that is going to provide a continually updating and hopefully a healthy metagame just due to that. However, the question becomes, you know, with patching, and this is something that we're seeing right now a lot with uh, Mortal Kombat X and the NRS community, how much patching is too much? Um, you know, when people are figuring out that, okay, this patch made my character completely unviable. I don't want to play this game anymore. And it's something we've seen from other games, too. You know, we've seen it with, uh, with even with uh, the iterations of Street Fighter. We see it occasionally with uh, our MOBAs like League of Legends and Dota. You know, sometimes patches can detracting from a game. Yeah. Uh, but as for the main question of when Smash 4 overtakes Melee, I don't know. You know, it's I definitely think it is possible, uh, but I think the scene still has some growth to do, and I mean that in a very, very good way. Um, there's been questions of the leadership, but that's been coming together. And as you know, the rule sets finally get figured out. You know, it hasn't even been out for a year yet, but as that gets figured out, you know, customs using means, things of that nature. I was about to uh, ask what, about customs. Yeah, you know, that's that's a huge topic of discussion, and arguments have been going on since day one, you know, let alone stages. Uh, that's, that's always going to be a question. Uh, also, you know, just, I hate to bring this conversation, but the topic of the esports. You know, Melee right now is arguably the most entrenched game in esports in the FGC, mm-hmm. even yeah. when you compare it to uh, Street Fighter. Um, you know, Team Liquid, Cloud9, TSM, so on and so forth, you know. 
it hit me how important that is when I was at I was at one of the nebulous locals that left and shut up to and one of the guys there said you know I've never had an interest in Smash I've been following TSM forever and they're getting to Smash their player was here I figured I had to be here just to figure out what it's all about and you know that's that's been working for people uh, you know, and I think in time, you know, we're going to see more and more, more and more of those players sponsored uh, by those big esports teams. And I know I had this conversation with a lot of Smash Four players who were angry, quite frankly, that players weren't being sponsored. And I made a plain to them like this: you know, in 2013, when Melee made it back to Evo after six years, it wasn't Evil Geniuses, it wasn't Cloud Nine, it wasn't Team Liquid, it wasn't Curse. It was VG Bootcamp, it was Melee It On Me, it was Clash Tournaments, it was the groups that Smash Community built and invested in themselves. 2015 for Smash 4, that's basically how it was, with the exception of, I think, Mr. R with Lowland Lions. Uh, but, you know, over time, people will see that, yeah, this community is worth investing, but you have to show it that their community is worth investing in, and the best way to do that is by investing in it yourself. You know, a lot of people have been angry, I guess, at male leaders for not being the ones to carry the standard. However, to be blunt, you know, it would be half-assed if someone if someone did it that way. You know, if you're not dedicated to X game, you're not going to give your all on it. You know, if you're practicing for Evo, you're going to spend more time practicing a game that you love, a game that you're die hard for, and treat it the same way. So, you know, I think Smash 4 can definitely overtake it. Leadership is definitely growing. The opportunities are growing. However, the biggest question for me personally is, well, what happens with Zero? Zero has not lost a single tournament since the game's release. He won Evo without dropping a game. What happens now? You know, We saw that in Marvel 2, and what happened was this culture of high-stakes money matches that definitely helped... Uh, attribute to the hype that is attached to the Marvel bloodline now. But right. for Smash, we don't have that history of high-stakes money matches. There was that you one know. last year, right? With, uh, yeah, we had one in uh, 2013. 2013? 2014, pardon me, with... Uh, oh, it was one of the Apexes with Tap, Kims, and Tien, yeah. which was four digits. You know, that's $1,000. Yep. Meanwhile, you know, you're talking about this year at EVO, you had Santoro and Luffy face off in Street Fighter for ten thousand dollars. You know, Capcom is quite familiar with having five digits being used for money matches. Smash, a twenty dollars money match is high stakes to a lot of players. Yeah. So you know, is if Zero keeps dominating, is there going to be a vested interest still in the scene? And that's that's my biggest question. You know. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, in a certain way, I think. The, the quest to dethrone him is going to carry a pretty good bit of weight for a while. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's definitely a storyline that people are going to follow. However, how long until people start giving up? And when they see, you know, everyone that they send to him, they can't win. You know, when you, I guess the best way to put it is Evo is supposed to be the biggest collection of players around the world. And sure, not everyone makes it. Right. But for a player to dominate like that, and not drop a single game. I don't want to say it's questionable by any means. No, you definitely have to loud how good he is at the game. However, you know, you wonder if this is the best that the world is throwing at him, and he takes it without breaking a sweat. Right. It, it kind of... Is there even a point? I don't say is there even a point, but, you know, is, what, what else can you do to bring people in? You know, it's it's like it's like ha- watching Breaking Bad, but having everything spoiled for you. Zero wins in the end. The end. Do you think, do you you think could it's... watch, but then a lot of the joy is removed. Yeah, you know, everyone. Sure, a lot of people are hoping that he loses here and there. You know, it makes it's it's a lot healthier for a scene. You look at melee and how many people were arguing just years ago. Oh, you know, it's only two or three guys competing, and now it's six. Right. And even those two or three guys were trading sets in some of the most highly esteemed sets of all time. But now, you know, it's... I'm not sure how healthy it is for the long-term longevity of a game. 
with that kind of dominance. If there isn't something else that's going to be a uh, something that's going to be, I guess, worth grasping onto for a lot of spectators in the scene that is really starting to see the value in spectators more and more. Right. Well, at nothing, at nothing, at least uh, one of the things that Smash has going for it more than any other game in FGC is the game itself. Because as we Snacks and I were discussing last week, and I kind of want to segue into uh, Smash is extremely friendly to just about anybody. Oh yeah, everyone everyone knows Smash. I feel like, or not even Smash, everyone knows the characters. Yeah, everybody knows the characters. You know, I mean, you might have that kind of crossover maybe with Marvel because it's like, oh, hey, there's Spider-Man. Oh, there's Thor. I just saw those guys in the Avengers. So there is that kind of crossover as well. But I feel like Smash has been played by everyone in some sense, you know. Sure, people might not be playing, you know, four stocks uh, with six legal stages, no items. Right. But you've definitely been at a party where someone was playing it in a corner with items on, and you know how to play that game. So Yeah, and, and just the fact that it's there and people can... The fact that people can play it in a, in a way that is, I guess for lack of a better term, non-threatening uh, definitely helps keep interest high. So uh, yeah. while well, I definitely see what you're saying and, and definitely will probably prove to be a, a little bit of an issue, uh, I do think that just the fact that Smash in general is such a friendly game, I think there's always going to be new blood trying to see, oh, wow, how do I take this to the next level? Oh, yeah. I think that Smash is definitely one of those games that people take a look at. But when they get a deeper look, they always want to, I guess, expound on it and see, you know, what's really out there for that. Let's see how far the rabbit hole goes. Exactly. Um, yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, I will say that with uh, with with Zero just being so incredibly dominant in Smash Four, um, that's uh, it, it. Really, is only a matter of time before people catch up. I I can't imagine a Doomsday scenario where nobody ever beats Zero and he's just. He he like single handedly kills the competitive scene for the game because he's he's just so dominant. I remember when uh, Street Fighter Four Vanilla was was out and it was new and Justin Wong was was Street Fighter Zero. He was um, I, I actually saw him at an at an MLG event in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, this was uh, I think the game had only been a few months old at that point, and we went and. Uh, yeah, it was spring 2009, and I think uh, Vanilla Street Fighter 4 came out in fall of 08. And, um, the 09ers, yep. Yeah, so, it, and, and I remember they were, they were doing like a, like a side event for, for Street Fighter, and it was, it was a, the, the, the tournament was basically like over the course of the weekend, whoever has the longest win streak can, you know, like wins, and it was like a $5,000 prize, right? And uh, Justin Wong showed up, and... He gets in on like the first match on Friday morning and doesn't ever lose. They they stopped him at 100. He he won 100 matches in a row against like whoever was brave enough to step up to him. And uh, they just told him like, hey, listen, we're we're gonna have you sit down. If someone gets close to your 100 matches, we'll we'll put you back in. But I don't think anybody made it past 15. Um, and he was he was sort of like that for a while. Now uh, he doesn't even enter Street Fighter Four tournaments. He's a he's a Marvel player now. So, I mean, he still enters. Yeah, but I, I'd say that you know over the course of time, you know, people caught up to him. Got the patches, uh, the international competition, which is something that Smash is it's working on. It isn't at the same level as Street Fighter. Yeah. Well, Zero um, is Chilean. If he's from Chile, but uh, you know, he's basically in most people's eyes, he's. From California, yeah, yeah, but uh, but uh, yeah, you know, it's I I think the one thing that makes me concerned that's different from Justin is that Zero has been able to seamlessly move from patch to patch. He'll switch from character to character because his mastery of the game is something that at this point no one else is matching. You know, right. Zero didn't just come out of nowhere. He had great fundamentals from Brawl. Uh, he he delved into melee for a short period of time. He did did better than most people expected him to. Um, but all that being said, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. You know, I'm not sure. You know, I, I think that eventually people will catch up. By but by that point, 
are people going to be so frustrated that he's the only one? You know, I think people will always be invested in their local scenes, but the biggest thing is always going to be the major, the big, the big show. Yeah, right. And if, you know, as as much as I hate to say it, you know, when you look at a tournament like Apex, which will get you know eighty thousand viewers compared to Evo. Yeah, those events matter. Right. So I, I don't know. You know, I hope that people, I hope that people have that fire to bring him down. Um, I just also hope that. Well, I don't know. You know, I I hope that I hope that someone out there makes things interesting for him sooner rather than later. It's a good point, uh, and I think the fire is definitely going to be there because you know, when, if you're going to be the guy that brought down the fire lord, then. You know, there's so much glory for the taking. Yeah, yeah. Actually, there was just a tournament in uh, Mexico this weekend, and there's a new player on the rise there. And you know, people are already saying, you know, we want to see him versus Zero. And you know, looking at the two play, just by how they approach the game, you're still sending a lamb to the slaughter. <laughs> so you know, I hope I hope with time that you know people step their game up in advance, but. I mean, if Zero keeps dominating, keeps winning, if he gets all this stuff that's coming to him, he worked hard for it, he deserves it all. But I just hope for the longevity of the game that, you know, someone out there makes things interesting for him soon. I see your point. I think the Avatar will will show up sooner or later. Mm -hmm. Do you Um, think... uh, Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, but to segue into the... Because I know we're kind of winding down now, but uh, segue into the one thing I definitely wanted to bring up is kind of brought into the discussion of FDC more generally... Uh, we were talking last week. We spoke about uh, basically what Seth Killian, your homeboy, uh, Seth, who actually just sent me a message on Twitter yesterday, complete with a code for his new game with the cannons, Rising Thunder, which is exactly what I was about to ask you about. And Woo! I was just going to delve into this topic of. The question of balancing a game for both the casual and the competitive audience. Yep, because which is something that you know it's 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 a huge topic. You know, with Smash especially, you know, you have everyone who talks about melee. You know how difficult it is to actually get into when you go to tournaments for the first couple of months. You aren't playing people; you're playing against the game. Right, and you know, closing that gap, I think is it's always a good thing. We're seeing that now a lot of developers are really, really striving to to make things easier for the uh, for the casual player to, I guess, kind of merge into a competitive setting. Uh, we're seeing that now with Street Fighter V, where they're getting rid of, or they're attempting to get rid of one-frame links, option selects, and things like that, uh, just for a more balanced system that, I guess, everyone's going to be able to take advantage of easier. And some that we're also seeing reflected a bit, you know, when you compare Melee to Smash 4 or to Brawl. And, you know, Rising Thunder, I think, you know, you have Seth killing of the cannons. You have so many bastions of the FTC working on it that realize that, you know, mechanics and whatnot, execution, that'll keep the hardcore people, sure. But when you're able to balance both demographics, like other games, like MOBAs are extremely good at doing, you know, you look at someone play League of Legends, and that's how you know they may not be as good as someone that's starting for uh, Team Liquid. They're not as good as Piglet with his mechanics, sure, but the game is basically being played the same. You know, the the ease, the e- I guess you know, it's easier to see the depth when it's all up front versus when it's all in the back. That's a good way of putting it because. The things that struck me the most about the things that Seth was saying in the interviews, which were all fantastic, I read most of the interviews he did last week and they were great, which is that, similar to what you were saying about Smash, and it's funny you say it about Melee, though it's true, but it's very true of Street Fighter, which is that for the first, in the case of Street Fighter, like six to eight months, you're not playing people, you're playing the game. Because you... You know, it takes that long just to be able to manipulate your character. To character in a way that you want it to. Exactly. Yeah, so, and, and it's like, not until that point that you're actually playing Street Fighter. 
Right. You know, I think that's one thing that was brought up fairly recently. Uh, there was an article, I think, about, I think it was on Jian. Uh, you know, they were, they were tracking where his eyes were. When you're a newer player, you're watching your own steps. You're watching where you are. He had his focus on his opponent because he knew where he was going to be. Right. So he was able to make those adjustments. So it helped him with his reaction and things of that nature. So, Which is such an interesting thing, the idea of just that simple or at least simple sounding concept of where you're yep. looking on the screen and how that can completely, you know, turn the tables on your performance in a given setting. Right. And, you know, this, this type of high level thinking in play is not dependent on how difficult it is to understand the technicalities of the metagame. Yeah, exactly. Right. And that's the point that Seth was making that I thought was so interesting because when you have, Again, using the funny part, I always thought it was funny with Melee because you're right, getting to Melee at a competitive level is very difficult, but playing the game at a base level is very, very easy, which is what, you know, neatly funnels people, you know, toward the competitive side. Yeah. You know, where you can go there and, and make Mario hit people into space, you know, in two minutes, you're hooked. Yeah. You know, it's something really, really... I mean, there's always going to be this feeling of accomplishment when you are playing a game at a high level, period. But right. when a game is as physically taxing, you have that extra amount of pride because it's like, you know, my execution is on point. I had to do this Dante Infinite for 74 seconds of game clock just to tie my opponent out. You know, my strategy worked out, yes. But, you know, I think for, I think just, the way the world works now, you know, we're so, we're so happy with, you know, instant gratification and that's what lures people in. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, I'm fighting, I'm going to fight just along online. I have no shot versus, well, you know, the playing field's been more easier now. Sure. He has, you know, all these fundamentals, but the execution barrier isn't there anymore. I might actually stand a better chance now. So we'll see how more games, uh, and that being develop. Right. So you, do you, you believe that um, the, the lessening of the technicality is, is uh, going to be uh, a trend? Not, not a trend. I mean, it's definitely going to be a trend. I'm, I, I, want, I guess I want to ask is, do you think that it's going to do more good than bad in the short and the long term? You know, I think for the short term, it's definitely going to, it's definitely going to bring more people in. I mean, I know some people who I won't mention that, you know, have, have been struggling with certain motions for years. And, you know, I was going to put you on blast, but you did to yourself. Yep. Uh, but, uh, you know, for example, I haven't gotten to play Rising Thunder yet. I'm, I'm actually at my parents' place right now, so I haven't been able to go home and install it on, uh, on the dual boot. But, um, you know, just hearing from people to talk about it, I think it's what, an eight-button layout? where it's just you have your three attacks, you have some specials, you have super, you have throw. It's extremely minimal. And I think, you know, that's, I think that's going to be a huge boon to people, just saying, you know, hey, you know what's great? I can do this right now, and, you know, I'll, I'll learn all these fundamentals. But I think, you know, over time, that these games are going to be used more like gateways to some of those older games. Or maybe even down the line we'll see tiles pop up where, yeah, you know, you do need to have some more technical proficiency to uh, be able to survive. It's funny because, uh, I mean, even even as far as, you know, they've, they've made some adjustments, because I think of Street Fighter in particular, like SF4 doing motions and such is easy enough that even I can do it. But uh, I mean, yeah, even they added shortcuts, things of that nature. Right. Uh, but then you go, it's when you say gateway to the older games, because I think of myself now, saying to myself, oh man, why don't I go try play CVS too? And then I'm like over here trying to yank the stick just to do a dunk, and I was like, oh, I forgot, this is 14 years old. More than that, actually. You know, this is yeah. back when it was like, do it or screw you. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's hard making those adjustments, uh, especially, you know, even with modern day games, you know, 
I know a lot of people, myself included, you know, I, I thought my execution was pretty solid. And then I played King of Fighters 13. And that game is like you, you messed up. It's digital sadism. They, oh, you, you messed up by what? One degree on your stick? Bad. Guess what? That move isn't coming out. You messed up. But I mean, I think, you know, going back to that and getting your execution down is always going to be a boon. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not a, I, I've never read anything about this, and I'm not an uh, expert on human physiology, but I would imagine that if, uh, if there are two games that, uh, that utilize the same like traditional fighting game movements, like uh, you know DP and Hadoukens and stuff, and one is more lenient than the other, that, the, the, that your muscles in your brain would probably figure out... Um, like shortcuts for those movements. Uh, and if you were to spend a lot of time with, with the more lenient of the two and then go back to the more difficult one, you find yourself messing up like way more because you, you've created this like shortcut inadvertently. Um, don't quote me on that. I am not a scientist, but I would imagine that there's probably some sort of like, uh, like subconscious brain function that dictates like, um, you know, how well you do this. But so. that's just a crazy aside by me. Don't. <laughs> well, we're, we're basically running out of time at this point, anyway. Yeah, we? we're coming up. We're coming up on an hour. Um, yeah, I guess. Uh, I, I guess we'll we'll end it with. Uh, I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask you. Um, do you uh, do you see yourself maybe in the future commentating Marvel? You know, I actually have commentated Marvel twice. I did it once at a. At a fest for Bum, if you guys know Bum, who is one of the main guys in the uh, FGC here in New York, former Smash player as well, um, and uh, another time at Broad City, uh, which was the uh, same menu as Nebulous before it shut down. Uh, would I do Marvel commentary? Probably not. Um, I kind of want to just see how far I can go as a player first before I try and put myself in that scenario. But maybe, you know, who knows? I still want to advance a lot more as a player for first, though. Definitely. Definitely. We'll be rooting for you. Yep. And um, are, there, are there any events that you, want to, uh, that you want to promote that are coming up in the near future? Ooh, okay. Um, let's see. In general, uh, you know, Super Smash Con coming up next weekend in... D.C.? In, yeah, it's in the DMV area. Um, who else, who else, uh, we have SCR coming up, uh, which is actually pretty late for SCR. Usually I'd say pre-evil, is SCR still coming up? Oh God. <laughs> Let me Google this real quick. Yeah, SCR was moved back to, uh, October. Uh, SoCal Regionals is a huge event. Um, actually this year the venue kind of flaked on them. There were a lot of issues, so they ended up splitting into, I think, two tournaments. So they had a smaller one back in June, and the big one's going to be in October. Uh, beyond that, you know, not too many shout-outs. Uh, again, I guess since we're on a podcast, I want to give a big shout-out to the Melee Army podcast. You can follow us on twitch.tv slash Melee Army or on Twitter at Melee Army. You can also join the Facebook group, uh, Melee Army. Uh, let's see what else... Uh, a big thank you to Smashboards, to SRK, Dustloop, Test Your Might, so on and so forth. Uh, you know, there's so many different games out there, so many different fighters. There's one out there for you, you just have to be willing to try it and you just have to stick with it, you know? No one wins their first major, but it's the journey that really, it's a journey that's important. You know, I, I can think of the sets I've won and, you know, those sets, that glory, they fade. But knowing the steps that it took to get to that point. That pride sticks with you. Mm-hmm. And with well that, said. you can follow me on Twitter at ProgDuckDo. Um, and that's about it. Uh, again, I just want to thank you guys for having me on the show. It's a great thank opportunity. You. And, uh, thank you. Yeah, thank sincerely thank sincerely you. appreciate it. You are, uh, you are a, a modest yet influential individual in the Finding You community, whether or not you want to admit to it. Uh, and the proof is in the pudding, my friend. Seth Killian has never messaged me on Twitter with a code for his game. So. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, I guess I'll give you guys a quick story about Seth before I go. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this was, I think, Comic-Con 2011? Either way, it was, uh, it was a Comic-Con here in New York where Nova was revealed. And the, that was actually the first time I met Seth. I, I met him for a picture afterwards. And I was so nervous because, you know, Seth, you know, I used to read his posts on SRK. It's a huge influence to me, and I just couldn't get words together. And lo and behold, you know, a couple of years later, he's, that's, that's the homie. You know, Seth is, <laughs> Seth is, Seth is, Seth is, I always say there's certain people that you just, you speak to them and you realize that if you were able to build around an individual, that's that person. Seth is that person. Awesome. Damn. High praise. High praise uh, for a well-deserved individual from a uh, well-deserved individual. I, uh, Yep. Thanks again. You know, thanks again for, for being on the pod. Um, maybe one day we too can be friends with Seth Killian. Uh, <laughs> Seth, if you're listening, message us on Call Twitter. Me. Message us on Twitter. Um, but yeah, uh, thanks again for being on. Um, follow and look out for all of the things that uh, Prague told you about. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see you guys. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Later, folks.